We haven't clicked with Reichel. Sealed of God. So if you want digital notes, please scan the QR code here for digital notes. There's nobody in the house that needs digital notes, but maybe somebody online needs access to the notes. Praise God. He is faithful and seals his own. Amen? All believers are sealed and owned by God. Sealed and owned by God. Okay, turn with me to Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 7, but I want to read this verse to you first in 2 Corinthians 1, as you're turning to Revelation 7. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, a guarantee of our of our salvation. His seal has been put on us. Today we're going to be talking about seal, the sealing of the 144,000. And, and what that means for us today and what that will mean for those 144,000 Jews that are sealed. So turn with me to Revelation 7, 1. We're in Revelation 7, 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at four corners of the earth, holding back four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. Four angels, four corners, four winds, starting with after this. Does after this then indicate here a sequence of visions and time or just a sequence of visions? Now, commentators are going to debate about this, and I'm just going to throw my opinion out there because that's how I get to talk, so that means I share my opinion. The context gives the idea of sequence of visions. That's, that is without a doubt. And, and timing... But the timing is a bit more complicated. It, it's, it's hard to, to read exactly the timing of these visions of chapter 7. For chapter 7 is an interlude. It, it's like, it's, have you ever read comic books or graphic novels? And you're going along on the graphic novel, and then it has the pains, and then there's like a pop-out. You ever done that, read that in a graphic novel or comic strip? Maybe comic strips don't really have pop-outs. But, but this is like a pop-out. This is like an interlude or, or a something that looks possibly back to the past and, and back to the, fu and all to the future. It's an interlude. In my opinion, chapter 7 is potentially reflecting back on the seals of justice and looking forward to the trumpets of the judgments as seen in verses two and three of seven, which we have not read yet. 
So it's looking back to the seven, ho- the four horsemen of the apocalypse, looking forward to the four trumpets, as seen in verses two and three. So why does John say the four corners of the earth? Doesn't everybody know that the earth is round, right? That's almost a perfect circle, but, you know, it's round, right? So what does it mean when we're talking about the four corners of the earth, right? Well, do we, whoever says the sun rose tonight or today, yeah, or, who, or, or do we ever say, did you see that sun rise? Or do we ever say, did you see that sun set? Does the sun literally rise, set? No, it doesn't, right? Because it's a sphere. It's a colloquial expression, right? Isaiah eleven twelve begins to talk about this. It says, he will rise a signal for the nations, and he will assemble and banish of Israel and gather and disperse them of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Obviously, the earth doesn't have corners, but this is a colloquial expression to speak of the whole earth from everywhere on the earth. The whole earth, then, is still before the sealing of Israel. There's no, on the whole of the earth, there's no wind. That's a pretty rarity here in Papa to have no wind, right? But on the whole of the earth, on the whole earth, there is no wind. Totally still. And the earth is still before the sealing of Israel for its purposes. Let's look at that. Well, let's look. Wind. So we have a still earth from the four corners of earth. What does wind mean? Is it just talking about wind? The blowing of the wind, hurricanes, all that stuff? Is it just talking about that? Well, let's see. Jeremiah 49, 36 says, And I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and I will scatter them to those winds, and there shall be no nation to which those driven out of Elam shall come. Here, wind is a form of judgment, isn't it? It's a metaphor for judgment, right? That wind is a metaphor for judgment. And here we have the four angels have stopped the four winds, right? We also have the four horse, those four winds could be referring to the four horsemen of Revelation chapter 6. Remember in Zechariah 6, when we read that, because Zechariah 1 and Zechariah 6 are the, (coughs) where John is getting the imagery and the borrowing the language for the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Remember that? And Zechariah 6, 5 <laughs> speaks of them going out to the four winds of heaven. So it could be that John is wanting us to allude back to the sealing of the 
144,000 started before or during or before the four horsemen came. Okay, so that would be a timing issue. That's an opinion. That's that's a possible interpretation. It could also mean a break from the wrath of Yahweh and the Lamb. We saw in Jeremiah that four winds definitely is a metaphor for God's judgment, God's wrath. And so here we, in verse 6, six, the last verse, we saw that the wrath of Yahweh and the Lamb had come. And now we have this break, the stillness, the four winds, the, the judgments of God have stopped, right? So we have... Uh, a break from the wrath of the Yahweh of the Lamb, and also we have the coming trumpets of judgment who are blown and are against the earth. The first four trumpets coming are blown and they are against the earth. Does a trumpet take wind to blow? It takes air to blow a trumpet, right? You can play a guitar and you don't have to use any air, right? But you can't play a trumpet with no air. Right? It takes air to blow a trumpet. So it could be referring to these things. God's taking a break for sealing. And I ask you this today do you want to be sealed? And I hope the answer is yes. How do I get sealed by God? How do I become His? Revelation 7, 2 through 3 says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, coming from the east, with the seal of the living God, with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. The first four angels that blow their trumpets, their trumpets are against the earth and the sea. And the, and the plants of the earth, okay? So <coughs> he's telling them, no, don't harm. We have to seal the servants of God. Where's this idea of sealing the servants of God come from? And it really comes, I think, from, for this passage, especially uh, Ezekiel 9, 3 through 6. And it says, uh, in a vision that Ezekiel is having of, of God's judgment upon Jerusalem, he's, God says, Now the glory of God, the God of Israel, had gone up for, from the cherub on which it rests on the threshold of the house. So if you want to know about a cherub, it's not a little fat angel with wings. You should go listen to Wednesday night, last Wednesday night uh, Bible study, and it'll tell you all about uh, what a cherub is. Uh, on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen, who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to them, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sign and groan over the abominations that are commanded in it. So put a mark. Put an X. Put a cross. The, the Hebrew word tav, and that makes the shape of a cross that are committed in it. And, and to the others, he said to the end of the hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eye shall not spare, and you, you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but do not touch no one on whom is the mark. 
So it's a mark, a seal of protection. And begin at my sanctuary. So they began, and the elders who were before the house, and they, they went through the city. The seal of the living God, the seal of the living God is available to all who confess Jesus as Lord. The seal of the living God is available to all who confess. Do you want to be sealed? Then confess Jesus as Lord, and he will set his seal upon you and give you his spirit as a guarantee. And that spirit of God is even the very seal, according to Ephesians chapter 3. Or four. Seals, listen, seals primarily assign ownership, but were also used to tell a story, to mark for destruction or for protection. But they primarily assign ownership. The seal here in Revelation 7 is a seal of ownership and a seal of protection. Do you want the seal of God? I pray that you do, that you would choose to confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you have done that, if you have made that, then you have the seal of God. You are his. You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to God. He has written his name on you. Ever go into somebody's shop and you pick up a tool and it has a name written on it? Not the brand name, but somebody's name, right? Kids, you ever have a toy that you really, really like? And so on the bottom of the foot, you write your name. That way nobody else gets confused. This is mine. I own it, right? God has written his name on those who believe. He owns you. You're his. No amount of rubbing alcohol or grinding is going to take the name off. So is the seal of the 144,000 a different seal than the seal of the Holy Spirit? Is it not so much? No. It's the seal of the Holy Spirit which is equipping them to represent God and protecting them from the outpouring of God's wrath. I have some pretty good artists, and I just, I'm thankful that they will, did all their art for me today. So, so why is the seal on their foreheads? Why is the seal on their foreheads? That's a weird place for a seal, possibly. Well, what's the most prominent part of your body, right? The forehead is the prominent place to display, right? Boom. I, I, I'm going to see, well, I'm going to walk where? I'm going to walk around Carrie or Joella, you know. No, I got God's name, figuratively, written on my forehead. I've been sealed. You've been sealed. You are owned by God. He's given his spirit to you. As a seal. It's also in agreement with Ezekiel 9. Where did they write the X in Ezekiel 9? On their 
foreheads, right? The seal was on their foreheads. The high priest wore a seal on his forehead, and it said, holy to the Lord. A seal of dedication to be holy to the Lord. Let's read that, Exodus 28, 36 to 38. You shall make a plate or a flower of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue, and it shall be on the front of the turban, on his forehead. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate to their holy gifts. It shall be regularly on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. It also could be a tie to the wearing of phylacteries. Phylacteries is the practice of putting scripture verses in a box and binding them to your forehead and binding them to your wrist. It's the, pra- the literal uh, practice of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, to remind the real of Yahweh's faithfulness and to keep God's word. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. They you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets or phylacteries between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The seal of God written on their foreheads. What is specifically that carrying? It's the Holy Spirit, but it's also the name of God. It says, In Revelation 14, 1, Then I looked, and behold, Mount Zion stood, the Lamb with 144,000 who had his name, his Father's name, written on their foreheads. Written on their foreheads, the Father's name, Yahweh. The seal is a form of Yahweh's name. God will seal 144,000 Jews with his name, because God has not forgotten the Jewish people. God has written his name upon us who confess Jesus as Lord. God's name is written upon you. You are his. And though you go through hard things, you are his. And though you are are challenged with difficult things, you are his. And he takes care of his own. He's working things out for his own. Revelation 7, 4 through 8 says, And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. You bored yet? 12,000 from the tribe of Simon. 
12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Iscar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. Why list the tribes? He couldn't even get all the tribes. He left out Dan and and he added in Levi. I mean, there's definitely 12 in the list. He doesn't start with the right person. He's supposed to start with Reuben. Instead, he starts with Judah. Oh, my word. We could just go on pages and pages and commentaries about these tribes. But I think there's just a very simple reason he did this. He did this because, A, he wanted to make sure that you knew that it was Jewish. Because he could have just said, seal 12,000 from every tribe. And left it at that. But John chooses to list their sealing in a military type census format to indicate that these Jews will be representing him, Yahweh, in the tribulation. He, he, he's intentional in making this list that makes us just want to be bored out of our mind. One, we're not in the tribes. So we're not looking to see if our tribe got included in their list. And I don't know why he excluded the Dan tribe. There's a lot of speculation. I, I, I think the reason he started with Judah instead of Reuben uh, is because this is the revelation of Jesus. And Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. That's why I think he started with Judah. But that's just my, the opinion that I have on that. We could spend a lot of time talking about it, but I think the bottom line uh, is, to sum it up, is that the 144,000 is that these are ethnic Jews. And he did it with the listing of the tribes to indicate that. I think John's description is deliberate. I think he's using the census, the tribes, Ezekiel 9, as a parallel to the path to them, the first eight verses clearly use Old Testament, i.e. Israelite Jewish elements to portray this group of 144,000. It's Jewish people, ethnic Jews. Dr. Uh, Michael Heisel, that's a quote from him. It, it, this, is, this is definitely ethnic Jews. And Yahweh chooses to seal 144,000 Jews. Why? To preach the gospel during the days of the day of Yahweh. He has not forgotten the Jewish people, for their gifts and callings of Yahweh are irrevocable. He, he ori originally wanted the Jewish people to be a light to the nations. He had promised them uh, that they would, would proclaim the word of God. He, he made covenants and land and pr promises with them, and he is going to keep those. And during the tribulation, the Jews, he calls them back to themselves. Seals 144,000. And it also means that many more Jews will become saved. It's not just these 144,000. 144,000, 12,000 uh, 12, from each tribe is, is language of, of completion, meaning that he will see Israel saved, his promises completed, for his promises are irrevocable. And now we're going to shift from the sealing of the 144,000 uh, ethnic Jews sealed for God's purposes during the day of Yahweh, during the, the day of the great tribulation. And we're going to look at a great multitude. Verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in right robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God. Who is this great multitude crying out before the Lamb? From every tribe and every nation, with palm branches in their hands, clothed in right robes. Well, the text clearly wants you to see that this is a diverse group from everywhere. Right? That's, that's, that's clear. It's a diverse group from everywhere from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, right? And so may we join in one voice with them saying, say it with me, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The seal of God placed upon you, the salvation brings is yours. It belongs to God seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, bearing Yahweh's name. We belong to him. That's something to be excited about. That's something to worship about. That's something to be encouraged about in the midst of the struggle. As we see, they're coming out of a very difficult situation. Revelation 7, 11 through 12 says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell down on, fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. May we fall on our faces and worship God. Saying, Amen, blessing and honor, or blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And they give him the sevenfold blessing. Amen. We join them and say, Amen. Say it with me, Amen. For Yahweh and the Lamb have sealed us, a people for his own possession. We belong to him. He's written his name on us. We are his. Revelation 7, 13 through 15 says, When one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed with in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to them, So you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in them with his presence. Who are these people? They are Christians who have came out of the great tribulation. Listen to this in Isaiah 4, verse 2. It says, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be, shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel, 
and he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. Then the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from the midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of mourning. Then the Lord will create over the whole side of Mount Zion, over his whole assemblies, a cloud by day and smoke and shining of flaming by fire. By, uh, flaming of fire by night, for over the glory there shall be a canopy. I'm missing a verse. And then it says in verse 6, I don't have to edit that for tomorrow, that there is protection and safety under the canopy that God's glory is giving. So that passage, right, in Revelation makes it clear that many Christians will come out of the Great Tribulation, right? Who are these? The elder asks John, and John says, Lord, you know. And then he says, these are Christians who have come out of the Great Tribulation. And I'll be covering this Wednesday the Great Tribulation as I go over Daniel's 70 70. Daniel 70 weeks, and especially the 70th week. But who are they? They're Christians. How you choose to interpret these Christians, where they came from, how they came to be in the tribulation, will be affected by which lens you wear. And I just want to ask you this. Can you identify the lens you're wearing, right? Can you say, okay, yeah, I'm a preterist, or I'm pre-trib, or I'm post-trib, or I'm mid-trib, or I'm an amillennialist, and do you know what those terms mean, right? Because where these Christians come from really depend on the lens that you're wearing. John's point is that they have demonstrated faithful loyalty to the Lamb. They've made it through the tribulation. They, they've made it through their trials. And that results in the privilege of serving Yahweh and being protected by him. They get to serve God day and night and be in his protecting presence. <coughs> Revelation seven sixteen through 17. These Christians that have come through the great tribulation, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will be, he, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. These are all Old Testament promises and quotes. Isaiah 49.10, they shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind or sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water he will guide them. He will swallow up death, I, jumping to Isaiah 25.8-9, he will swallow up death forever. And Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh will wipe every tear from all faces, and all the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for Yahweh has spoken. 
It'll be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord that we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his, what church? His salvation. Yahweh has saved us and given us his seal of ownership. That's a good thing. Let us rejoice in his salvation. Amen? Please stand.